0: Good morning when i first read the ephesians passage that alan just read i thought that patient gentle loving and humble were words that i would use to describe elisa if asked you are deeply thoughtful very respectful and full of forbearance and you've done and had challenging jobs before so even if you're a self-described baby pastor What is outlined in this passage is not new to you. But perhaps being a pastor is of an unusual job. And this pastor is uniquely weird in that you've known many of us in one way as members of the same congregation. And now you're going to get to know us in a different way as our pastor. We will be at different points deeply disappointing. The work will be hard and the demands on your time unfair. Paul in this passage urges the reader to live a life worthy of the calling you received. I might put it in a slightly different way. How do you live a life that allows you to continue this call? After all, we're seeing record pastor burnout these days with 42% of pastors saying they've considered leaving the pastorate in the last year. I thought I'd offer some suggestions from pastors I know and admire about how they've worked at this. One of the best ways I've observed pastors limit burnout is to build mutual relationships with a lot of different kinds of people. Being a pastor can sometimes kind of create an unintended barrier where people are afraid to talk to you about normal things, or they tell you too much about themselves, or they avoid you, and they almost always forget to ask you about yourself. One of the pastors I work with has addressed this by regularly sweeping up cigarette butts in the church parking lot while wearing his collar. He greets everyone who cuts through the lot on their way to the hospital or heading downtown. He knows many of the regular foot traffic by name, often asks about their family and something specific about their lives. Perhaps most importantly, they return the favor, helping to fix a snow blower one winter, holding a piece of spouting while he's unclogging a storm drain, and always asking about his kids. He is much less the other in his own community, thanks to this simple task he does several times a week. Another pastor I work with has what he calls the flower fund. I mess up, he said, and when I do, I send flowers and apologize and then move on. To be clear, this suggestion is less about you making mistakes and more about how particularly deep and hard misunderstandings in church can be. But this is a good way, thought, for him to acknowledge painful, awkward times, have someone feel as if they've been seen by him, and take responsibility for his part of it, If appropriate. These are things that don't often happen in church. Finally, seek out the laughter and joy this call will bring you. Often it's the simple things. Last Sunday night in the heat, I stood with a pastor and someone attending a community meal that we serve most every Sunday night. And Robert, who is a regular at the meal, was telling a hilarious story and the pastor was laughing and cracking jokes and all the volunteers were laughing with Robert and the pastor. It was more fun than I'd had in a long time at work and I was grateful for the unexpected moment. This city is full of wonderful pastors who are excellent resources and also often happy to laugh or vent. You have a great solid group of friends, many of whom are here today but seek out these pastors when you need someone who really gets it and with whom you can share hard and good things without feeling like you're betraying the trust of your congregation. Thank you, Elisa, for taking the risk and accepting this job. Thank you for being here.
1: We're really looking forward to this. So my very first memory of Elisa goes back seven years to the evening when Hannah brought her to our home uh, to meet her new friend with some of us from church. And that evening when Elisa came in, she very symbolically sat in the chair closest to the door. And she later told me that that was no accident. (laughs) That was no accident. Her plan was to let Hannah do all the talking and then to make a quick exit. But lo and behold, someone asked Elisa a question. I think it might have been Glenn. And to her great surprise, she was soon opening her heart to us about her life, about her faith, about God's call to ministry and the deep pain she felt in having that call blocked because of her orientation. And before we knew it, two hours had just flown by, and uh, Elisa was still sitting in her seat. What I remember most about that evening was both of them sharing how their love for Jesus was the quality that was actually attracting and drawing them toward each other. Did you hear that? Their shared love of Christ was drawing them together. And then later on, as their relationship deepened, they began to realize that their relationship might actually help them to follow Jesus better together than apart. And so, when they started talking about marriage, they started talking about church as well our church. And Hannah asked Elisa this beautiful question, will you come love this church with me? Not because we're some special church and we're easy to love, but because making this kind of commitment to a congregation is how God grows us and shapes in us Christ-likeness. For the first three chapters in Ephesians, Paul expounds on how through Jesus we have all been reconciled to God and to each other. How Jesus has broken down all the terrible walls of hostility that divide humanity. Think of all those walls. And knit us together into a new humanity, a new family of reconciled enemies. And then Paul's letter pivots. In the second word in our reading today, he says, therefore, in light of everything I've been telling you for three chapters, he now urges us to live our lives in grateful response to God's grace, to live out our shared calling together. And what is that calling? It's to be the family of God. A family known for unity and patience and gentleness and love and forgiveness when we fail to do all those things. A family where divisions between nations and races and genders and classes are being healed. And so in the Greek today, when Paul says, I beg you to lead a life worthy of the calling to which you call, you've you been called, each you is plural. Everyone, everybody, all of us are called. If Paul had been from the South, he wouldn't have said you, he would have said... Right, if he had been from the Midwest, what would he have said? No, you guys. If he's from Pittsburgh, Philly, Right. Use. And I have to tell you, one of the wonderful things about working with Pastor Elisa so far is the beautiful way I see her drawing all of you to serve and to minister with her. She's actually much better at this than I am already. She clearly believes that her pastoral role is first and foremost to equip and empower all of us for our shared calling. So get ready for her shoulder tap. Because, dear friends in the family of God, there is no one ungifted. There is no one not empowered, no one not called to lead a life worthy of the calling to which we have all been called. Amen.
2: I beg you to lead a life worthy of the calling with all humility and gentleness, excerpts from the scripture that Elisa chose for worship today. Elisa, I have seen you share the humility and gentleness bearing one another in love recently at our community meal. It was your first evening at the me- community meal as our associate pastor. It was Stan's first time to attend the meal. You spent a large part of the serving hour that night talking with Stan as he sat inside the door on a very hot August evening. As you extended gentleness and patience to Stan, you also see God's love exhibited in all those folks who come to the meal, who accept their own situation with humility and gentleness and patience. Stan has not missed a meal since then. He asks about you every time. Elisa... You see the face of Jesus at the community meals, both in the people who come and the people who work with you. My father was ordained as a pastor in 1948 and then as bishop in 1956. These ordinations took place using the lot. Many of you attending Elisa's installation today have little idea of what the lot is. In the Mennonite church, members were given an opportunity to submit a name of a person that they felt could serve as their pastor. On the morning of the ordination, a book would be placed at the front of the church. If three names were given, three books would be placed at the front, each book looking exactly the same. Each book would be carefully secured with a rubber band. Inside, one of the books would be a slip of paper. At the appropriate time in the service, the men whose name were given were invited to choose a book, one man at a time. Generally, the oldest man went first. The one who chose the book with the slip of paper inside was the one on whom the lot had fallen. I was two years old when the lot fell on my father, ordaining him as bishop. I have no memory of it. However, I did go with my parents to many, 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 many ordinations using the lot. I can remember sitting on the bench beside my sister, Rachel, feeling so nervous at those services. It was high drama as they received that book. There were tears, many tears. It was holy ground. I've been thinking a lot about these ordinations by the lot that I attended as a child I wondered, as I remembered, did those men have a sense of call? Did they feel like they had an alternative of saying yes or no? Alisa, you described in a recent sermon, Our Lives Together as a Pilgrimage. You have answered the call to serve us in this holy space at this holy moment. Pastor Mel Thomas, my brother, shared these three quotes with me last week. Number one, a seminary professor quipped, Being a pastor is like being a stray dog at a whistler's convention. Number two, being a pastor observed another can feel like you are the pivotal goose at the head of the familiar V pattern in the sky. You don't know if you're being followed or chased. And number three, the mother of Franklin D. Roosevelt lamented to a friend, I've always wanted Franklin to be a minister. He only got to be president of the United States. Alisa, I share this blessing with you given by Jean Veneer at Henry Nouwen's ordination to priesthood. May all your expectations be frustrated. May all your plans be thwarted. May all your desires be withered into nothingness that you experience the powerlessness and poverty of a child and sing and dance in the love of God, the Son, and the Spirit. Alisa, despite our human limitations, we are radically loved by God. And in God's great compassion, God uses our weakness to bring God's strength to all who are called to, called to serve. You have been
1: called to this pastoral ministry. I welcome you, Elisa, as my pastor.